Hello. I am kind of in pain. And I'm trying to figure out what it's about. Um, my hips have been hurting lately. Well, lately is in the past two days. And it feels really nice to stand up right now. I've been sitting a lot at work because it's been slow. And when I was in yoga school, we kind of learned that when you have pain in certain parts of your body, it tends to mean something. So if you're doing too much of something or not doing something in your life or you're not dealing with something emotionally or you know you're dealing with too much emotionally or there's something you need to look at it's going to tend to show up in your body so um I've fractured my tailbone twice and I think both times in my life it happened because I was not doing the things I should be doing and I so my hips have been hurting in my lower back I have arthritis in my lower back because of the fractures um, but the pain isn't, it seems like when I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, I don't have pain there. So it's pretty cool in that sense. But so I would wanted a reminder kind of, or just more information on what does lower back pain mean? And, um, it says... A great deal of emotional upset can occur for people who are living somewhere they don't feel that they belong. Pain in this area is often associated with not feeling that you are planted where you are supposed to be. That might show up as not feeling that you belong in your family, that your family doesn't relate to you on some level, or that you just can't find your tribe, the people who understand and accept you on a deep level. And, um, I've been, I've been living home for the past couple months and we're going to family therapy and we're dealing with trauma because we don't understand each other. And, um, we, there's a lot of pain in the way of us loving one another, but there's a lot of love that's starting to really come out from working through our trauma and stuff, so... I don't know if it's my home per se, but I, I think because that area is also near the sacral chakra, which has to do with, yeah, it's like sex, family, relationships, but it's also like near my root, like my pelvis, right? My root is right there, and that's that kind of represents your foundation, your movement in life, and work has just been 
not hard in any sense at all. It's very, I sit all day and I'm not doing what I want to do. And no, maybe my tribe is not here. <laughs> Although anywhere we go, we can make the best of it, right? Like, I try to be as open and loving and vulnerable with everyone that I can be. And I find in the workplace that's really hard because we're all conditioned to be very closed off. But the more I'm opening myself up to my coworkers, I do see them starting to open up more and, you know, be a little more vulnerable. But it's still not the place where I feel like I'm meant to be in any sense. I don't think any of us really want to sit in a building for nine hours a day. I don't know. I don't feel like... No, I don't feel like I'm where I want to be or where I'm supposed to be. But it's interesting that it's coming up now. It's just like... What do you do? Um, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do and where I want to go and what I want to explore and where I can find where I'm meant to be. And I'm just taking it day by day, seeing where the days take me. I did a podcast with um, another podcaster. Her podcast is named Stitch Normal, if you want to check it out. And I think it was a really great episode. And I talked about, we talked about things like this, how when people, she has many friends and people she knows who have chronic illnesses who won't look at the emotional part that is making the, the illness worse. And so when they don't look at it, the illness gets even worse. My mom had a heart attack, and the doctor literally told her it's from a broken heart. Basically too much stress. And she keeps refusing to look at her role in our family system. She keeps blaming other people, and you know, but she won't look at how she plays a role in the family dynamic. And so she almost had another heart attack like a month ago and and a stroke and so it's like if you keep pushing it off eventually it's just going to kill you because if whatever we ignore in the mind has to come out through the will come out through the body and lately she's been kind of laying off and you know being involved and listening 
when I explain family systems and how it works and how we each play a role and how, you know, her role is high anxiety. And no one wants to look at how they're affecting themselves and others. I think it's a lot easier to say, it's my husband's drinking. That's what, that's why we have problems in the family. My daughter acting up, that's why we have problems in the family, because my daughter is depressed and has BPD and has all these kinds of things. That's why I'm stressed. Um, and we talked about this in the podcast episode yesterday, which when it's up, I'll share it, but I'm still kind of inspired by it, and I think it was a really great um, topics we talked about, but... Um, So I talked about Bowen's systems theory, Bowen's family systems theory, which when I read this article, which I'll put a link to in the description, please check it out if you can. It's, I read this article and I was like, did they write this about my family? Because this is my family. But it turns out it's also families all over the country. So I'm not alone, which was really nice to know. Um, But so it usually goes that there's one member of the family who has high anxiety. Due to an event or events that happened in their past. And it's interesting that it it said typically it's the mothers. Um, So this person has high anxiety. And they basically make up... They have this trauma from something that happened to them in their past. So they believe that it's happening to, say, their daughter. Right? So if my mom, um, you know, did bad, you know, got hurt when she went out with guys or you know, got in trouble if she drank or did this or whatever and got in trouble. Now she perceives her daughter as doing the same thing, even if she's not doing it. She's So what they found is the mother will literally project things onto the daughter or child saying, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. They're anxious, right? Because they think that the past is in the present when it's not. The daughter isn't doing any of those things. But because they're projecting this anxiety, this high anxiety of, oh my god, you're doing this, you're doing this, you can't do this, you're going to get hurt, you're going to get in trouble. Now the kid's like, whoa, what the hell's going on? So the child who did not have depression, did not have anxiety, now has depression and anxiety and is starting to do the behaviors that the person with high anxiety made up that they were doing but they weren't now they're acting out those behaviors so it raises the anxiety in the person with high anxiety so that it keeps them in a loop of i'm in i have anxiety i'm going to put it on to you now i'm starting to misbehave in the ways that you were scared that i was going to now the anxiety raises even more so this cycle keeps going on and on 
which is why my mom had a heart attack. Because eventually, if you're not dealing what, with what the actual issue is, which is an event that happened in my mother's past, then it's just going to continue this cycle of giving your anxiety away to somebody else and creating these roles in the family. So this is the role of someone with high anxiety. Then there's a person who um, amplifies the anxiety. And in my family, it's my father. Because, and, and it's written just like this in the book, in the article, I'm sorry. And I see it exactly this way in my house. It's so crazy. So the, the, they're saying that they studied like... I don't remember how many families, but this is what they observed in every family, is that there's an, a member with high anxiety who starts projecting onto the quote-unquote patient child. Then there's someone who amplifies the anxiety. In my house, it's my father who comes and sees, oh my God, my wife has all this anxiety. I don't want it given to me so they either distance themselves which my father does he just leaves and goes and does his own thing or when he can't escape he starts defending the person with high anxiety because he doesn't want the anxiety even though he doesn't agree with what the person with high anxiety is doing so my dad doesn't agree he tells my mom back off like you're giving her all this shit like just leave her alone just let her be she's got to figure it out but he feels that way but when he says that then she turns to him and gives him the anxiety so he doesn't say anything at all instead he defends my mom and adds to the anxiety and says yeah Rachel you this you that you're doing this my sister um so that's and that's called triangulation where there's a there's person A, person B, and person C. So there's always an outsider. So in this case, my dad doesn't want to be the outsider because he, if he's the outsider, A and C will ally, will become allies and turn against him. So he wants to be buddies with A so that he doesn't get pushed to the outside and given the anxiety because someone needs to, the more people you have, the more you're able to spread out the anxiety. So like my therapist would say, you want to get rid of your pain, have children. Because the more people there are, the more you're able to disperse the anxiety and not have to deal with it yourself because now you've given it to other people. And so it's just super interesting reading about this theory because you see the roles that each member plays in the family like i've always played the role of the hero so from the moment from since i was young if my parents were arguing i would go stop stop and i'd get in the middle and i'd alleviate the anxiety from them good now someone took it away so they're not actually dealing with the issues which is themselves and each other now i've taken it on and now they can yell at me or you know, make the argument about something else. Then there's usually a member who, in this case, it's my brother, who doesn't involve himself at all. He retreats, but he's still, he's in the other room hearing everything, absorbing everything, so he keeps it all inside. 
So he's not actually passing it around. He's just completely absorbed the anxiety. Um, and then there's the patient child who is my sister right now, who is, if they can blame her for all the problems, then they don't have to look at themselves and look at their past and their pain because they're not the problem. This child is causing all the problems. Uh, Rachel didn't go to school. This is this is the problem. And this is how it's been in family therapy for the past couple weeks is they're like, well, Rachel didn't go to school. Rachel's not going to school. And it's like, Rachel not, well, she has to go to school. Marie, why does she have to go to school? Because it's an accomplishment. Because I was kicked out of my house when I was 16 and I had to work full time and I still went to school and I still graduated high school and it was the biggest accomplishment of my life. And so Rachel has to go to school. So now we're starting to see like, oh, this isn't about Rachel. This is about you and what high school meant for you when you were a child. So this is what I'm saying is it, that's just, that's just a raindrop in an ocean of trauma and pain and issues that my mother has, but is not looking at. But I had this discussion with her yesterday and she sat and listened to me explain all this stuff and it was pretty incredible. And, you know, usually I go, Mom, like, I want to talk to you about... And she goes, Samantha, please leave me alone. I don't want to talk right now. Every time I try to talk to her about our pain, it it obviously is bringing up pain for her and she doesn't want to look at it. So... Our relationship my whole life has been been extremely superficial. If we're not talking about, you know, surface level things, if I try to go deeper, you know, she's not, she can't be there, she can't handle it because it brings up stuff for her. I was raped when I was 17 and my mother was there for me. She took me to the hospital to get a rape kit, you know, she was there physically, but could not talk to me about it. Because when she was a kid, she was sexually assaulted. So, you know, seeing, seeing what happened to her being relived in her child brings up her pain. And if, if she has this narrative, you know, where he was a piece of shit and you know, he ruined my life and I could never do the things that I wanted to do because of him. So she's lived with that narrative her whole life. So she never did anything she wanted to do because she had let the rape define her and define her life and hold her back. And this is what, if we really identify with things that have happened to us and who and who we think we are and well I'm a rape victim now so I guess uh I can't do anything I guess um you know I'm worthless and this these are real feelings like and they're unconscious like when I was raped it was like well men only want me for sex I have no worth other than my body and how I can please men sexually so I did walk around for most of my life not knowing how to receive pleasure, not enjoying sex for myself. And sex, we, what we see in sex, we see on the outside. So it also represents how I feel towards myself just in general. So 
I it's really hard for me to experience joy. I don't feel I'm worth people's kindness and people's compliments and I it's really hard for me to accept compliments and people genuinely loving me because it's like what do you want from me don't you want my so then so then when that's not the case when it's like oh you don't want my body I don't even know how to be right but I, that's not so much the case anymore but it was the case before I became conscious of all this so things that have come up from so so that's why it's hard for my mom to talk to me she says smith every time i talk to you i cry because i bring up her pain and 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 that's a good thing but you know we're taught that we're supposed to just push those things down and we're not supposed to look at our trauma and things that make us feel sad i i saw this video yesterday of this or the other day, I don't know, of this Italian guy. Hold on, I'm gonna sneeze. <coughs> um, I saw a video of this guy from Italy, and he's married to an American woman, and she said, what do you hate most about America? And he said, I hate that everyone is smiling all the time. I hate that everyone pretends that they're happy all the time like are you really happy all the time and that made me so happy to hear that yeah it we put on this facade that we're always feeling good how are you good how are you oh great when we're not it's not okay to not be okay but it is so uh you know, I cry. I, we go to the rock gym sometimes, and if stuff comes up for me, I literally lay on the ground and start crying. And we were at the rock gym the other day, and I was crying because stuff was coming up. And the lady who worked there came up to me, and she's like, were you okay? I, I thought you had, like, a, a scary fall or something. And I was like, no, just being emotional. And she was, And then we were, like, talking about it and, like, talking about what rock climbing brings up for me and stuff like that. And... She was like, you know, that's so refreshing because, you know, I have a lot of anxiety and I feel like I can never talk about this stuff with people. And it's really sad that, like, we all just feel so alone in our pain. I went to a um, retreat a couple weeks ago um, with a bunch of random people. And there were probably like eight of us. Six of uh, six out of eight people there were sexually abused by a family member, and I could. It, it was so hard for me to believe. I was like, "Oh my god, how many of these people are at my job? How many people do I work with were sexually abused by someone in their family, and they never talk about it? I have no idea who the people are in in my workplace." And I've been here for four years. I have no idea who anyone is and their life and their stories. And people say to me, like, wow, it's incredible that you got your whole family to go to family therapy. And they show up every week. And I really am so proud and I'm so happy that they were finally just like, I'm fed up. 
I'm fed up with not being happy. I'm tired of being in pain. I'm tired of being miserable. I'm tired of the same shit day in and day out. It's killing them. It's killing my family. And so now we're looking at our roles. And that's what I was telling my mom. And and that's what I want to tell everyone is... If you're the person in your family with high anxiety, or if you're one of these roles, what ends up happening is we are undifferentiated. So now we have these roles that we have to play in our household, right? Because it's just the way it's set up. But we carry it into every other relationship outside of the house. So because I was always the helper with my parents, all of my relationships have been been me looking for people who need help. So I've always tried to be the savior. So I never did anything for myself. I don't even know who I am. My life is basically for other people. I don't know what Samantha wants. I don't know what makes her happy. I don't know what she likes to do because I just do for other people. It's what I had to do when I was little. Samantha, I need you to do this. Samantha, do this. So I'm like, okay, okay. So I am the caretaker. So all my romantic relationships were with... I felt very comfortable if I had to take care of someone. And me and Ben were talking about this, where it seems like what the honeymoon phase is, is when you're both differentiated. So you're both self. And when you come together... It's so beautiful and it's so great and you're so in love because you're actually being yourself apart from the system and apart from your partner. You are you. And so all it's all magical and beautiful because you are your true self. And then what happens in time as you get more comfortable, you, now you start to go back to the role that you know. You undifferentiate and you merge and you become the role that you are familiar with. So I start playing the role of the caretaker um I don't really hang out with myself I do what what do you want to do and I do what the other person wants to do and I just completely lose myself that's been my track record and so I look for someone who doesn't really who needs someone I need I look for people who need someone to take care of them And then I don't know what those people's roles are or have been, but it seems like they need, they're like um, the person in the family who detaches. So like my brother detaches and relies on other people to take care of him, kind of. So I guess I found people like that who need me to take care of them or need someone to take care of them. Um, But then over time... You know, and then you'll hear this in your relationships. They're like, God, you're just like your mother. Oh, you're just like your father. Because we, one, are them. And we're playing the roles that they gave to us. Me and my mom have the same role, in a sense. Although she's the one with... Wow. Yeah, so I guess when I step outside, I'm the one with high anxiety. Oh, crazy. That's a realization. Woo! It's okay. That's why we work on this stuff. (laughs) But, but, But in a... In a two-people dynamic, the anxiety gets passed around. So if I'm over-functioning and I have high anxiety, the other person will under-function. And then 
we switch it where now they have, I'm giving them the anxiety, right? So now they have the anxiety and I'm under-functioning to balance each other. When really we want to be able to differentiate so that we are self and we can meet in the middle and I don't have to be over or under-functioning. And what that means is like, oh, honey, can I take care of you? How can I help you? Like that's over-functioning and under-functioning would be totally regressing back and not not even like needing to just be away entirely the point is to be together separately that's what the goal is right when we're in a relationship we want to be ourselves and take care of ourselves while we're with another person so that we don't have to go away for a long time and oh like the beginning of me and Ben's relationship was like that because we didn't know how to differentiate so um, you know, we'd spend three days together over the weekend and we'd be like, oh my God, I don't even know who I am. So we'd spend the week apart. Now we can spend a week together and still hang out, you know, like now it, it's getting more to a place of we're learning how to differentiate together. And that's really beautiful, but it's taking a lot of work because I'm almost 30 years old and most of my life has been not knowing how to be my own person because of my role in my family. And this is, I think this applies to everyone, unless you've already differentiated. And that's what they're saying in Bowen Systems Theory is like, most people are like low to mid differentiated in these kinds of circumstances. If your family's super healthy and everyone's differentiated and everyone's their own self and there's not this dynamic then that's awesome but um for those of us who aren't there this this is what it is um so yeah we look for people to play our roles that's why like a a really toxic relationship or one where you're like, oh, I'm obsessed with this person, even though it's really hard and it's really painful. And they're, I've, you know, and we say, oh, they're, to they're toxic. It's like, no, you guys are actually perfect for each other in the sense that you're playing the roles that you know perfectly. But that's not really healthy. And it's not their fault re either. It's we need to look at ourselves and look at what is my role? What am I doing? Why do I feel like I need to take care of other people? Why can't I take care of myself? And so that's what I was telling my mom is like, you know, you take care of everybody else. But at the end of the day, who takes care of Marie? And this is something I realized too. Um, this past weekend, we did a shamanic breath work, um, and I was laying next to Ben and so we were breathing in and out of our mouths um, like full breaths and no pause in between you just go right into the inhale into the exhale into the inhale into the exhale and um, he was like guiding us and saying you know like whatever you can make sounds like if, if your breath feels like it needs to be really audible that like do that so Ben starts making really loud sounds and he's like ah oh, 
ah, ah, like, and it's just getting louder and louder and louder, and I can't focus on myself, and I start getting so angry, and I'm like, oh my god, can you shut the fuck up in my mind? I'm like, shut up. I can't even concentrate on me. I can't take care of myself because you're being so loud. You, like, stop. How can I take care of... So it was like all this anger. And I was like, oh my God, I, I don't want to feel like this. And then like, so I start crying. Like tears just start coming out. And then I start laughing because I'm like, this is ridiculous. It was humorous. And I don't know, just something. In, and I'm like screaming, laughing. I'm just laughing so hard. And then he's laughing. And then time goes on and then he's crying like the biggest cry I've ever heard and it was so beautiful for him and I'm so glad he really had the it wasn't about I hate Ben and Ben's annoying and shut the fuck up Ben it was my inner child something was coming up for me and I didn't know what it was at the time so he's crying I can't focus on myself I feel like no one's taking care of me I can't take care of me because this person needs me to take care of them and I was getting so angry so I got up and I went in the other room and then he's like crying even more and and I sat in this position that I sat when I was little my hips were so tight and I held myself and I was so sad and I felt so alone and I felt like why can't anyone, why can't I take care of myself? Why does everyone always need me to take care of them? Because it felt like that's what Ben, like it felt like Ben was like crying like a little baby and I needed to hold him, which on normal circumstances, like I'm able to do because if I'm able to take care of myself, I can take care of him. But it felt like I can't even take care of me right now. And you want me to take care of you? Fuck you. So I was so angry. And then I went back. He he came and laid next to me. And then it was done. And um, the guide, his name is Angel, said, like, if anyone wants to share their experience. And I, and I spoke up first. And I said, yeah, I was angry. I was so angry because he was so loud and I just wanted to say shut up because I can't I can't concentrate I can't focus on me with you crying and he said like and I felt like a little kid and I said that I, it felt like when I was little and he said well you know a lot of times when we're little we're, we were never allowed to be angry and that's true when I was little you know, my parents would be so angry and be mean to me, and I was so angry all the time, but I couldn't give it back to them. I could never yell at my parents back and be like, shut up, leave me alone. I could never say that because they'd hit me, you know? Like, my, they were terrifying. My dad would, you know, beat the shit out of you. So I could never be angry at the people who were, quote-unquote, hurting me. So I was an angry kid. I was really angry towards other people towards my brother I was really not nice because I just had so much anger in me and I couldn't I wasn't allowed to express it in a healthy way and he says you know and when you're little you know and you feel like you're not being taken care of you don't know how to take care of you because you're a little kid you don't know what to do and it was this huge awakening of like oh my god yeah like I just want to be, I, one, I wanted someone to be able to take care of me when I was little. But I had parents who had their own pain and their own trauma and didn't even know how to take care of themselves. So how could they take care of me in my emotional state, you know? Um, 
And so it was this huge awakening of like, whoa, yeah. Uh, I need to be there for myself. And then I can be there for other people. And it's really lovely to have a partner who, when I am a little girl and I am sad, he can hold me. And when he's a little boy and he's sad, I can hold him. And that's what I was telling my mom is like, um, if you're taking care of other people, there's no one left to take care of you. And that's what I'm realizing for myself because I am my mother is, um, if there's no one if I'm taking care of everyone else, there's no one left to take care of me. And I'm always getting the short end of the stick. And another thing that um, came up for me this weekend was... Um, like... Uh, I When I was younger, yeah, it's... The sexual stuff comes up a lot, but I think it represents other stuff where, like, I was like, you know, Ben, you don't really tell me I'm hot a lot. <laughs> and I am. <laughs> and he's like, well, I don't even feel like I'm... I feel like a monster. Because his sexual trauma is... You know, he feels like he's ugly. And he feels like a monster. So he says, you know, most days I don't feel like I'm beautiful. I don't feel good about myself. I feel gross. And so if I feel like that about me, you know, how can I show you that you're this beautiful thing when I don't even think I am? But you are that, and I am that. It's just hard to feel it sometimes. And then he said, but I think that's part of the you taking care of yourself is, sure, I can tell you you're beautiful all I want, but unless you know it for yourself, you don't hear it. Like, what happens when Ben's not around and I look in the mirror and I say, God, like, who's going to tell me I'm beautiful? Me. And my mom brought that up. She said, in therapy, she said, no one, no one ever said, God, Marie, you're so good with the camera. You know, you've had a camera since you were four years old go to school. She said, no one ever encouraged me. No one ever pushed me. And it's like me. And it's like, no, it's like, no one's, not everyone's going to be around to do it, to take care of you. You need to be the, we need to be our own cheerleaders. We need to love ourselves and know that we're worthy, worthy and good enough and talented and beautiful and kind and loving and and then we need to do those things and show it to ourselves because we we can't hire I mean you could hire someone sure to just be around you all the time and tell you how great you are but that sucks and it's not genuine and at the end of the day you won't be able to hear it if you don't believe it for yourself so Yeah, a lot of stuff came up this weekend. And as I'm talking about it, my hips hurt a little less. So maybe I needed to talk about it and share it with you. Basically, we need to be mindful and not distract ourselves from 
our feelings and from what our body is feeling by being on the phone all day. We just disconnect from our bodies and our minds. On days when stuff is coming up for me, I I tend to distract myself a shit ton. So when I notice I'm doing that, I try to put the phone down or whatever down because then it allows the space for these things to come up so now I can start taking care of myself more and rely on me as my friend and my first lover to love me and hold me and tell me how great I am and say, whoa, Sam, you know, you're doing a hell of a job right now. <laughs> my my grandma said to me, you know, we weren't allowed to have feelings. We weren't able to process things the way you're doing them right now in family therapy. You have a great opportunity. This generation has a great opportunity to heal their ancestors and to heal the future generations. And she said, thank you. And so, you know, if you get discouraged on this journey of healing, just remember you're ending a cycle of pain that has been here for generations. Bowen said, you know, we don't see these family systems occur from just one generation. This takes generations to get to the way it is. And if we can start to change that and end it and allow more love and less pain, less suffering, there will always be pain, but less suffering then uh, that's truly a gift. We have a gift of an opportunity. Um, so, yeah, when that episode comes up on Stitch um, Normal's podcast, I will post it to my Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Um, again, um, there's a Patreon group. Cosmic Triggers with Sam. We have two tiers. One is that we meet weekly for video chats where we talk about stuff like this. And it's really beautiful. And if you're really taking healing seriously and want to get have a community um, where we all love each other and want to help each other, I really hope you join... And if you're kind of scared of groups and really just want a one-on-one right now, um, that's option three, the third tier, where I will do bi-weekly one-on-one meetings with you. And possibly Ben will join me also, because we're a good team. We have a good dynamic. If you ever come to the weekly group chat, you'll see. I think we, we have a good energy going. Um, but I love you so much and I'm always here if you need me thank you for being here goodbye for now